Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, I'd like to start by saying uh, I'm very excited, as Jeff alluded to, uh, my role changing to serve as uh, senior advisor to Julian Brisebois, as well as the entire hockey operations department. I feel this change uh, in role is important, important for me, uh, which will allow me to spend more time with my family, and it also ensure that the Tampa Bay Lightning are managed to the standards that, that Jeff, all of us, everyone that works in this organization and is associated with this organization has come to expect. Stevie, why, why, why Steve Eiserman is stepping aside as GM to become a special assistant to the new GM, Julian Brisebois. What does this mean for the Lightning and why is Eiserman really leaving? And the Bucks may be without both starting cornerbacks Sunday against the Eagles. Breaking news, Vernon Hargraves is headed to see orthopedic surgeon Dr. James Andrews and the Bucks fear that he could have a season-ending shoulder injury. We'll talk about all that in the race, too, with Tom Jones of the Tampa Bay Times in just a minute on Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Before we get started on this podcast, do you want to be a millionaire? Well, for 30 years, Howard and Sue Million have brought the cool comfort of air conditioning to the entire Tampa Bay area, making thousands of residents millionaires with their quality products and service. Millionaire is currently offering 0% interest for 72 months on qualifying equipment. Give them a call at 727-862-2100 to take advantage of this great offer on a brand new quality train air conditioning unit or to schedule service or maintenance. Call 727-862-2100 today. Trust the masters of comfort, Millionaire. Here's what Tom Jones wrote in today's Tampa Bay Times. Tuesday could go down as one of the darkest days in Tampa Bay sports history. Just two days before the start of training camp in a season in which it is favored to win a Stanley Cup, the Lightning lost its architect in a stunning announcement. Steve Eiserman stepped down as general manager of the Lightning. And Tom Jones joins us now. Was a strange, and I would agree with you, Tom, dark day um, over there. You went to the news conference. You talked to Steve Eiserman. Um, just how stunning was this and the timing of it uh, especially seems odd. Yeah, the timing did seem odd to the point where a lot of people are asking questions about exactly what's going on. Is there something else behind this? And I talked to John Cooper off to the side after the press conference was over. I said, you know, what, what did you think? And he said, look, I was stunned when Steve told me. Now, I didn't get a chance to ask Cooper when Eisenman actually told him. My guess is it happened very recently, like within the last few days, that the rest of the organization, now the players didn't even find out until Tuesday. You know how it is, Rick. It's when, when something's going on inside the organization, it usually gets out pretty quickly. Nobody had any idea about any of this. And I think the only people who truly knew what was going on over the last, say, month or so was Jeff Finnick, the owner of the Lightning, uh, Julian Brisbois, who's the new GM, and Steve Eisman. And I think that was pretty much it. I think they kept it pretty quiet for the uh, for the last month. Uh, it all went back to July, and we can get into the time frame and all that in just a minute. But um, I think everybody was was pretty stunned. The fact that it's happening uh, two days before the start of training camp, uh, I asked Steve Eisman specifically, why would you 
do this two days before camp, and he felt like this was the right time. And and why not do it now? Why why wait until a week into camp or a month in into the season uh, to make a decision that I think he'd already decided to, uh, a while ago? So uh, I think he feels like he's leaving the organization at the best time he can leave it. It's a fresh start. It's a new season about to start, and the, the team's in place. It's a good team. All right, we'll we'll get into uh, Breezeball in just in just a second, but. Um... Let me let me ask you this. I mean, obviously, he was in the final year of his contract, and right. so that would have prompted a discussion between you know him and Jeffrey Vinnick about his future. Uh, normally, this time we'd be you know you would think you would be getting a story or release about Eisenman being locked up for a number of of years. Now we know that he has been a guy that never really moved his family from Detroit, but that never seemed to be much of an impediment. You know, in the past, I mean, he's been right. here eight seasons, so. Um, you know why all of a sudden is 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 a sudden urge to go to go and and he mentioned family um what can we eliminate in terms of the reasons for him to do this you know it's a great question rick and i think you hit on something that was that really started this whole thing and you're exactly right in july jeffrey vinnick admitted this so did steve eisman in july with a year left on his contract uh Steve Eisman was approached by Jeff Finnick. That's what owners do. You know how, to, how it works, yeah, absolutely. Rick. If, if a guy's doing well as a GM or a coach, you talk to him about an extension. So it was the natural time. You know, over the course of the last couple of years, there's been moments or periods of time to reflect and think about uh, uh, my, my situation, I guess, uh, what I want to do. Um, and then ultimately this summer when the season ended, when we got our uh, – season-ending business uh, taken care of. It was time for Jeff and I to sit down and talk about uh, the, my future, my contract specifically. I had some time to think about it uh, once all our work was done and just what do I want to do, what do I need to do. And uh, at some point in later in July, uh, before prior to Jeff and I meeting, I came to the decision that uh, this is what I want to do. Um, and it's taken us from that meeting to work out the details, a lot of the details on how, what were our next steps were for that to come to today. I think Steve Eisman knew at that very point that he did not want to commit long-term to the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's the sense I get. Now, he did not admit this. He did not say, I'm not here to commit long-term to the Lightning. All he said... I'm, I'm in the role I'm in, 100% committed this year. Uh, we're going to do everything we can to, to, to win as, be, uh, as, success, as successful a season as possible beyond this year. Uh, I, I don't have an answer for you. And this thing about family, I want to spend more time with my family. I'm not going to accuse Steve Eisman of being disingenuous. I've known him a long time. I have a good working relationship with him. I've never, he's never lied to me. And that's something that's uncommon for sports executives. They're often lying because that's, that's part of what they do. Uh, Steve Eisman, I, like I said, I've never caught him in a lie. He's always been very upfront, very honest. But this thing about family, it just seems a little fishy to me, is the way I'll put it. I mean, he's his as you mentioned, his family never moved here. His wife still lives in Detroit. He goes back and forth quite often. His daughter, he said, he mentioned like, look, I want to be, I want to be around my my girls more. Well, his girls are now 24, 20, and nineteen. They've moved yeah, out. Yeah, They're not his home. Youngest, yeah, his youngest yeah, is nineteen, right? Right. So I mean, they were when he took the job, they were sixteen, twelve, and eleven. Yeah, you know, so 
to now all of a sudden say, look, I want to spend more time. I'm not saying he doesn't miss him. I'm not saying he doesn't want to spend more time around. Maybe he needs to, maybe he needs to recharge. Maybe he needs to reboot. Maybe he's reevaluated his life and say, Hey, I don't want to let any more years get away without being around my family. That all may be true. At the same time, Rick, it just seems like, uh, it seems like this, this to me feels like the first step to leaving the organization that he's going to play out his, his, his contract one more year and then he's going to leave and then go where I don't know. But I asked him specifically, I said, Steve, there are a lot of rumors already that you're going to go back to the Detroit Red Wings when this is all over. You're going to end up being their GM. We're going to play this year. And uh, and after that, I don't know. So mm. everything that he said in that news conference on Tuesday, um, you we are not going to be able to go back and say, see, he lied. He, yeah. he said he wasn't he wasn't going anywhere and he absolutely was going somewhere. He and every time he was asked about it, I wasn't the only one who asked him on Tuesday. Several people asked, what's your future? Where are you going to go? Are you going to ever be a GM again? He kept saying, I am committed to the Lightning for this year. And after that, I don't know what's going to happen. All I'm thinking about is this year. So, uh, I again, just reading the tea leaves, Rick, I, it seems to me like this is the first step to eventually leaving. And, and I think he's going to end up being the GM of the Detroit Red Wings someday. Or... Yeah. Could be Seattle. I mean, Seattle is an mm-hmm. expansion team. They're going to be looking for a GM here in a year or two. The guy who's going to run that organization for now appears to be Todd Lewicki, who uh, was the president of the Lightning when Steve Eisman was hired. So they have a past relationship. But, um, I, look, he's 53 years old, Rick, and he's a brilliant general manager. I can't imagine this is his last job as a GM. And that's the thing. His age would tell me that um, that he's not done with hockey in some form, um, and probably as a GM. I mean, that's... You know, he's, let's face it, he didn't win a Stanley Cup here yet, and I guess if they win one this year, it certainly would have his handprints on it, sure. even as even as one of their, you know, special assistants or whatever he's going to be called. Um, but he's got a lot to give to this game, and we know the Red Wings are special to him, and, and, and you mentioned the Seattle situation. There's a lot of speculation about that. He just kept saying, you know, it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing personally. It's the right thing to do professionally. Um there's also the question of of, of Brisebois, which this is an up and coming GM that, quite frankly, a lot of people thought would be in Montreal or that that he would have been hired or was going to be hired shortly, 41 years old, um, by another NHL team. So um, perhaps Eiserman looking out for Venick, realizing he's not completely sold on being here the rest of his career, or for whatever reason, maybe his family doesn't ever want to relocate here at all. Um, maybe this is a way for for the next man, you know, next man up for, um, you know, for for Jeffrey Venick, and and it's and it's a way to slip out of town, but do so and where you're not leaving the team without a good GM candidate. I, I think you're exactly right about all that, Rick. If you're Steve Eiserman and you eventually want to leave, and look, he has every right to leave if he wants to. Sure, I don't eight think years anybody, is a long time. Yeah, eight years is a long time, and that if you look at that run during the eight years. I mean, five playoff appearances in eight years, four trips to the Eastern Conference Final, one trip to the Stanley Cup Final. They've done everything yes. except for win a Stanley Cup. And if and if he goes back to Detroit, nobody – if that ends up happening, who can blame him? He played there 22 years. He worked there as a yeah. – you know, he, he apprenticed there to work in the front office. Uh, he got his training there under Ken Holland um, and, and came here and, and – 
Lightning benefited from all of that. So if he were to go back to Detroit, no one can blame him. But you're exactly right, Rick. If he ever was going to leave, he is leaving the organization at at in the best possible way he yes. can. He's leaving it with a roster that's ready to win a Stanley Cup right now with its superstars, Steve Eisenman, Nikita Kucherov, Victor Hedman, all signed to long-term contracts. This team is set for, for several years. Uh, and he also leads it, as you mentioned, with a GM uh, who's ready to be a GM. Uh, you know, Julian Brisbois is a guy, Rick, You, as you mentioned a few moments ago. Several teams were interested in hiring him as a general manager. And Jeff Vidick made a great point on Tuesday. He has way more experience in the front office of a hockey organization than Steve Eisman had yeah, when Steve Eisman became the GM. He is really Steve Eisman's right-hand man. Now, what does what doesn't he have? Look, he doesn't have... Steve Eisenman's name. And, and Steve Eisenman, that meant a lot. I, I'm still convinced that players were interested in playing for the Tampa Bay Lightning because Steve Eisenman was in charge. He's, 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 he gave the organization credibility, and he gave it um, a name that people looked up to and knows that, hey, things are done seriously in Tampa because of Steve Eisenman. Now, I think Julian Brisbois is the same mold. He's a very similar guy to Steve Eisenman. He just doesn't have the playing career that Steve Eisenman has. But other than that, He's fully ready to be a general manager, and maybe that was part of it, Rick. Maybe he looked at it and said, hey, if I'm going to leave, if I know I'm not going to be here beyond this year, I might as well step aside now, and that way uh, Julian can take over, and and you won't have a sort of a tug-of-war next year with other teams coming after Julian Brisbois. I think you raise a great point about the Lightning and the organization and how much credibility they got once Iserman became the GM. Um, because, you know, at the time, I think most people figured he'd stay in Detroit and that, you know, a place like Tampa Bay wouldn't be somewhere that would interest him. But we know what he did in terms of leaving the, the roster and, and the franchise and um, you know, accomplishments we made better than when he got here. Um, and yet, how much how much of a hit is this to the Lightning? I mean, Jeffrey Venick's the owner, and he, and he said again today that, look, I've, I, you know, I was the owner when I brought Iserman in. I've been the owner every move we've made. I'm still the owner now, and I'm telling you this: we're going to be fine. But is he? Are they going to be fine? Is this, you know, is, is it the the ownership that that uh, sort of sets the template here, or was Eiserman a bigger part of this than we'll even realize? Well, I don't think we can dismiss the impact Steve Eiserman had. I don't think we can sit here one day and talk about perhaps the best general manager in all of hockey, and then he leaves and say, "Well, I'll just bring yeah. the next guy up, and the next guy's sure. going to be just as good as the other guy." I don't know that the next guy is as good as the last guy. Right. Uh, I I think he knows what he's doing. I think he has a lot more uh, input than maybe we realized. I'm talking about Julian Brisbois now. I think he he handled a lot of the contracts. He's very good at identifying talent. He worked very closely with John Cooper and the minors, so they have a relationship. John Cooper very much likes uh, like Julien Brisbois. So um, I can see it being a smooth transition, but to sit here and say that he's going to make the same wise decisions and, and look ahead. Steve Eisman had a style of doing things. He was a finalist several times for GM of the year and won it once. Uh, yeah, I still think this is a hit to the organization. Now, it may turn out a couple of years from now, you look back and say, yeah, it wasn't that bad after all. But I, I don't if, – if, if, the, if the question ultimately is, who would you rather have your GM be right now, Steve Eisenman or Julian Brisbois, I think Steve Eisenman's the answer. Um, but maybe Julian Brisbois is the next best answer. Well, don't forget, uh, guys, too, plus, you know, by doing it this way and Julian Brisbois taking over now, Al Murray – 
uh, Stacy yeah. Roos, Pat Verbeek, they're all staying. I mean, everybody in the scouting and front office and everybody else is staying, which makes it a much smoother transition for everyone involved for the Lightning. And I can tell you, and Steve's exactly right, and I can tell you that everybody in that organization has immense respect for Julien Brisbois. I don't think anybody in the organization is looking at this saying, boy, I don't know if this guy's ready or he or I don't respect him the way I respect Steve Eisman. He's very well respected, in, not only in hockey circles, but particularly in, in Tampa Bay Lightning circles. So I, I don't think that's going to be a, a, a difficult transition in, in terms of the organization. But, yeah, I mean, look, I it's still Steve Eisman's not here, is not going to be here anymore, and that's – I don't think that's a great thing for Tampa Bay. Well, as you wrote, it, it is one. I would agree with you. It is one of the darker days in Tampa Bay. If you lined up all the executives and head coaches that have been in the various sports in this area, Joe Madden leaving was a dark day. Yeah. I think Steve Eisenman, this is the second closest thing I can compare that to. You're right. Um, I, I thought about that today. I was trying to think what other dark days have there been in Tampa Bay sports history. And, and yeah, the, the whole Friedman slash – Madden leaving the the Rays was was a tough one. Here's another interesting part of this, Rick, and let's let's just fast forward a little bit and say that he ends up going back to Detroit. For many years, we all thought because there have been rumors since the day he got here. Oh, he's eventually going to go back to Detroit, and I think there became a point a few years ago, maybe two years ago, three years ago, where it seemed like he was staying. Like, oh, he's never going back to Detroit. And one of the things we used to always say was, why go back to Detroit and screw up his legacy? You know, he's. He is a god in Detroit. He played there 22 years. He's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the greatest players in the history of the franchise. Uh, he he may you know after Gordy Howe probably is the next best player in the, in the in the franchise history. Won Stanley Cups after years of of a drought in Detroit. He's a he's a god in Detroit. Why go back and screw that up? But then I think I also realized Rick that I don't think guys like Steve Eisman think the way that the rest of us think no. i don't think he looks at it and said oh i'm gonna go back and screw it up i think he says i'm gonna go back there and 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 lead this team to another stanley cup as a general manager so i he strikes me as the type of guy who who that legacy he's not worried about ruining his legacy and again i don't know that he's definitely going back there it's just it's if i had to bet i would bet he's going back there oh i'd put a, i'd put an awful lot of money on that i really would i i don't think he's done being a GM by any stretch of the imagination, and I, I would agree with you. I think it, it means more to him. Look, he must see some opportunity there in the future, and we know how these talks are, are done. Um, and, again, I don't want to draw parallels to Joe Madden, but, I mean, things happen, you know, where, you know, you don't expect openings, and then there's openings, you know, and there's opportunities that line up. And, um, obviously, he's he's he has some plan. I, I don't believe – he doesn't strike me as a guy that would – make a move without having a couple moves ahead but right be that as it may um let's talk about Iserman and his legacy here um he was involved with some pretty you know controversial decisions and I think he hit on most of them but there's a few that he would probably take back but what do you think were some of the bigger uh decisions decisions he made and, and the ones that uh that, that maybe he'd like do-overs you know what for I mentioned four in my column. The first real big decision he made was, and I think it was the smart move at the time, even though he knew it might not have been a very popular move, and that was to buy out the contract of Vinny LeCavier, who had been here obviously mm-hmm. a long time, face of the franchise. Still probably, if I had to pick the most popular player in franchise history, I still think it's Vinny LeCavier. He managed to pull it off, though, in such a way that Vinny held no bitter 
feelings. He's still very much welcome back into the organization. He's still around the organization a lot. I think Eisenman had a lot to do with making sure that that all went smoothly. The biggest thing, actually, there were two big other moments for me when it comes to Eisenman. One was the Marty St. Louis situation. Now, I remember at the time when, don't forget, Steve Eisenman was the executive director of Team Canada. I know there was a lot more involved. But the day that he left Marty St. Louis off the Olympic team, I wrote a column criticizing him. I said, look, this is going to come back to haunt the organization. And again, I realized there were other factors that went into Marty St. Louis wanting to leave. But I got to know Marty St. Louis very well. And I'm telling you, even in private moments with Marty St. Louis, he told me, look, that still had a lot to do with it, being left off. He eventually was added to the team after injuries and whatnot. But that he was very hurt by that. And it did come back, and I and I think Steve Eisman made a mistake, and I don't, I don't think he would fix it. I don't think he would do it over again. I think he's very, he still feels like he made the right decision at that time, but, uh, but give him now. I'll give him credit for he turned around and he traded Marty St. Louis to the one team that Marty wanted to go to, and managed to get something back for him. He got Ryan Callahan, who's been a big contributor, and he also got a, a first round draft pick out of it. So he made he made lemonade out of out of lemons certainly in that situation um and then the other big thing was to jonathan druan how he handled everything regarding jonathan druan remember druan quit the team everybody said that's it that's it cut him get rid of the kid like let him rot let him sit in montreal and eiserman never did that he 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 was patient um he eventually talked druan to coming back going to the minors he didn't have to he didn't have to swallow his pride to do it. He didn't have to, to bend over backwards for Drewan to let him come back. He made Drewan earn his way back to the Lightning roster. And it turned out Drewan contributed in the playoffs that year and then built him up enough and that he became a valuable asset and then turned around and traded that asset for Mikhail Sergachev. And I think that's a trade that we're going to look back on someday and say that was a, one of the better trades he ever made. He also traded Ben Bishop at a time when it was turn, time to turn over the goaltending reins to Andre Vasilevsky. So I look back, I still think the one he re, might regret or should regret was how he handled the Marty St. Louis situation, but I don't know that he would look back and say he regretted any of it. Let me ask you this, and I don't even know if this really plays into anything, but um, you know, when you have a, a Hall of Fame player uh, in, in a very good if not great executive like Iserman, who takes up a lot of space, right? Yeah. What's it like for John Cooper? Um, in other words, now does Cooper become sort of the face of this franchise? Is your head coach elevated to a more higher profile? And in some ways, will it be better or, or, or worse or, or the same? I mean, how does this affect the coaching and, and Cooper in particular? That's an interesting question, Rick. I, and and I I wish I had an easy answer for you or a quick answer for you. I mean, did they get along? I mean, obviously. Yes. They got now along. here's the thing. Yes, Eiserman and Cooper got along very well, almost to the point where, like, Eiserman is very respectful of the game. He's respectful to how things are done, and what that means is that the general manager picks the roster, but but Cooper picks the line. The coach picks the lineup. You know, he's the one that decides who's in that. And I remember what ha- this this came up. The year that the Lightning went to the Stanley Cup Finals, um, early in those playoffs, Jonathan Drouin was around, but he was a scratch. And there were some nights where I thought he should have been playing. And uh, so I went to Steve Eisman at one point, and I said, and this is Steve Eisman's guy. I mean, he picked Jonathan Drouin, and a lot of people were uh, were critical that that 
You know, he could have picked Seth Jones that year, who's a top-notch defenseman. He went with this sort of undersized, really skilled forward. And I asked Steve Eiserman, hey, how about Jonathan Drouin not in the lineup? How do you feel about that? And he said, it's not my decision. It's the coach's decision. Mm. He never he never got involved to that level, which was which Cooper loved, you know. Um, so he and Cooper got along very well. I think Cooper and Breezeball will get along very well, uh, very well too. But um, but the idea of like does this elevate Cooper? That's an interesting question. Steve Eisman's a very sort of for as big of a superstar as he is, and for as big as a name as, as he is, and for as much as you put it, as much space as he takes up, he really is a pretty humble, quiet guy who prefers sort of to stay out of the limelight. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so I, so I think ultimately in the end, I, I don't know that all that changes much. I'm going to miss him. The thing I really respect about Steve Reisman, I, I have to say, is that you know, and you've dealt with coaches, Rick, over the years with the Bucks, where some of them have preferred to deal with the national media more than the local media. And mm-hmm. same thing with the GMs. They'll feed the national guys stuff and sort of shut out the local guys. Steve Eisman was really big on taking care of the local guys. He would he would often not get back to the national guys, but he always called back. Anytime I sent him a text, he would get him back. He would get back to him. If he called him, he would call them back. And, I, and a lot of the national guys used to tell me, like, boy, it's hard to get a hold of Eisman. It really wasn't for us local guys, which, which we're all going to miss. The thing about that is – you're talking directly to your fans, you know, when you were talking right. to local local beat writers or newspapers, versus national guys who you know who report on all the teams. And so, uh, very often, I think you know sometimes in other other sports they confuse, you know, really where where they should um, you know where their loyal loyalty should be in terms of calling guys back and whatnot like that. And when it, and I think when those, when they, when these guys call national people rick and i'm not i'm just sitting here whining because i'm a local guy yeah no but there's an agenda usually involved when yeah you're talking to the national and i can tell you steve eisman never had an agenda he i remember when the marty st louis thing went down when he left him off the olympic team and i and i called him and he only called two people back that day he called me back and he called martin fenley who was at that time working for the tampa tribune and he explained his decision he wasn't Mm -hmm. trying to sell us on it he was almost to the point of like uh, you realize, like I know way more than you, right? Like it, that was sort of his attitude, you know. But yeah. he was, but he but still I'm not going to tell you the, everything I know. Yeah, right. And he still gave you the answers that that you were looking for. But there was never, I, he never was, he never had an agenda. It didn't seem like he would answer your question, and if he couldn't answer it or didn't want to answer it, he would tell you, "I don't want to answer that question." But he didn't lie, and uh, and I, like I said, I, I had a, a an immense amount of respect for how he dealt with not only with us but i'm i'm sure he treated the organization even better and that's why people i think are going to miss him so much around here if they had won game seven against the capitals and i think would have then beat las vegas and won a stanley cup change or anything change about that decision no i don't think anything changes and i i do wonder though rick if we look back and and i don't know what else he could have done if i asked john cooper today about working with steve eyes we said look my one regret is we didn't win a A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Stanley Cup, while he was like truly in charge, he's still going to be around this year. But yeah. yeah. And uh, so I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Is that, does this, does this not quite complete? His legacy here in Tampa Bay, the fact that they didn't win a cup? I mean, 
Did it complete Tony Dungy's career in Tampa? I don't, if look, if he doesn't, if Tony Dungy doesn't go on to win the Super Bowl with Indianapolis, he's not in the Hall of Fame, right? Well, that's true. But I mean, when you think about Tony Dungy in terms of him as the Bucks coach, the fact that he didn't win the, Stan, the Stanley Cup, the fact that he didn't win the Super Bowl here, right? Does that make his legacy here different? I don't think. It, probably it not. Would be? Probably no? not. I, I still think we look at Tony Dungy here as there are just as many people look at Tony Dungy as look at John Cooper, uh, John Gruden, as being the best coach Tampa Bay's ever had. Uh, yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, and yet you know he won it in Indianapolis, and right. You know he was in their Ring of Honor before he was in Tampa's, and John Gruden went in the Ring of Honor before Tony Dungy. That's all I'm saying. I, I, yeah, no, I get that. I think for Steve Eisman, he probably looks back. I don't. I'm sure he he you know he told told us today that yeah, I wish that we had won a Stanley Cup here. At the same time, you know, I've covered him. I covered, I've covered Lou Pinella. I've covered Jacques Lemaire, who's a who's a Hall of Fame, you know, player and coach. And sometimes when you when you have a guy like that, they're they're so sure of themselves that they, um, I don't know that they feel uh, that they have to win a, a championship to prove that they know what they're doing, you know. And so right. maybe that rubs off on the rest of us that I don't know that we look back at Steve Eisman and say, well, he was great, but not like slightly elite because he didn't win a Stanley Cup. I don't, I don't think we will. Look back I think what you're going to find, and and I'm not, I'm not in the prediction business, but if I were. Um, and I, I'm, sh- you know, I know nothing about Brisebois. I mean, I'm sure he's very, very good, as everybody seems to think he is. But I think, I think what you're going to find is what's hard to do is what Iserman did, which is build a franchise that, through multiple coaches and lots of superstars and guys coming and going, um, which is delicate, right? When you're getting rid of guys like Vanny LeCavier or Marty St. Louis, um, and then you have a Steven Stamkos or a Victor Hedman, that sort of thing. It's hard to consistently be talked about as the Stanley Cup favorite or a Stanley Cup uh, contender every single year. That consistency um, is 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 just rare. It just, I mean, maybe not so much in hockey. I know a lot of teams make the playoffs in hockey, um, but still, people take it for granted. I think of how hard it is to do and be that consistent. And that was Tony's thing: was always, "Hey, we want to be that team that every year." We're going to be in the playoffs. We're going to be in the tournament, and one year we'll break through. Um, as opposed to, and I'm not saying the Bucks have done this, but you know, if you're always trying to hit the home run every time up at the plate, you're going to strike out a lot. Right. And I, I don't, I, you know, Eisman was 31 or something like that before he won a Stanley Cup, as great a player as he was. So he knows that it, you know, it just doesn't happen just because you might have the, you know, the best talent. Um, but I think. I think his record of consistency is going to be hard to match. I agree, and I also think the other thing that they that there will miss, and I don't know, there was very often times where he he I don't think he ever really spoke to the team directly. He may have at the mm. beginning of the season, like to start a training camp, or to, but he's he's he wasn't the type of GM who was going to go in like during the playoffs, you know, and and make no, a statement. But he was a resource to those players. But he was Come a on. resource to those players and he's also one of those guys that the players could look at. There was no player on their roster, I don't care who you're talking about, ever since he's been here, who could look at Steve Eiserman and and say, well, I'm a, I was a better player than him. Like, There's only <laughs> like there's only like 10 players in the history of the planet that can look at Steve Eiserman and say, I Gretzky. was a better hockey player. Yeah, Gretzky, <laughs> Lemieux, Gordie Howe, yeah. you know, Bobby yeah. Orr. And then we're now we're getting to the short list after that. So yeah. 
Uh, and I and I do think that that uh, you know, over the years they've attracted a few free agents uh, from time to time. Sure, guys who decided to stay here for the long run. I have to think that the fact that Steve Eiserman is sort of hockey royalty might have been a little bit of their decision. Uh, ultimately, Rick, you know how it works. Whoever pays money, the talks. money is going to get a guy. But yeah, but I'll, I'll tell you what though. You know, this is Tampa Bay, and I don't care. I mean, a lot of people probably still don't think that you should be playing hockey where you can't, you know, make ice. Right. Um, and and I, I do believe that Iserman brought to this franchise credibility as a hockey franchise, as one that knew knew what the hell it was doing. And without him, the perception is probably still different. And, it, and I'm not sure that, that that won't leave the room. I mean, again, they've, they've got this, this sort of consistency, this record, and, and, it, and I think people – People nationally have recognized that Jeffrey Vinnick is not only a great hockey owner, hockey you know, owner in the NHL, but one of the best pro sports owners anywhere in any sport, right. and he's been named such. So maybe that's you know we're past that point. But without Eiserman, I do wonder how many free agents come here, how many people think that they know what they're doing, um, and you know he he had to be a big pull for guys. He had to be. I would think so. Now, like, again, I will say this, that in hockey circles, Julianne Brisbois were very well respected, very well known, you know, and sure. very well respected. Sure. Uh, so, and, and I, it does go back to, a little bit to Jeff Finnick. But uh, as I said earlier in this podcast, if you're asking me who would I rather have my GM be right now, oh, of course. I'd still rather have Steve Eisenman. Well, let's uh, quickly transition here just a little bit uh, to the Bucks. Tom, you and I were um – Jaw dropped in New Orleans like everybody else watching Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, I don't know who he turned into, but um, I'll be honest with you. And I went back and I've seen some of this game and, and watched some of those plays over and over again. You know, the thing I didn't realize until it was brought up to me later was that um, for all the passes he threw, he threw uh, 12 passes, seven to Mike Evans and seven yeah. to Deshaun or five to Deshaun Jackson. Yeah. Do you know he went 12 for 12 to those guys? 12 for 12, every one they targeted, every time he targeted one of those guys, they and caught. And those were and deep balls. Two, three of them, yeah, four of them were over 35 yards. Exactly. Four of them. We were talking to uh, Dirk Cutter on Monday, the day after the game, and we were talking about splash plays, you know, plays, explosive plays. You know, you got you to gotta take your shots. I mean, you know, you're trying, to, you're trying to throw deep, especially when you guys got guys that can win deep. Now, you know, I don't – I think we had 14 explosives yesterday, by the way, we count them, and uh, – you know, eight eight is going to usually get it done for you. So, and you know, we had a couple other chances. You don't ever think you're going to get get them all. I mean, you think if you hit like one out of three of those, you're doing pretty good. There was only one I can remember one them not missed. hitting. That's right. One he missed, and that was a weird one he missed because Mike Evans is he got tangled up with the DB defensive fell back down, yeah. who fell down, yeah. and I don't, and I think it knocked. If you go back and watch that play, Evans got knocked off stride a little bit mm-hmm. on that played too so it really wasn't like a horrible throw as much as the time he got messed up because uh, Evans collided with the defensive back other than that Rick I mean and not only were they were they throwing these these deep bombs down the field these guys were running wild wide open and Mm -hmm. Fitzpatrick not one of those times did you you look up and he babied it in there or like he hit these guys they didn't have to slow down. They didn't have to to, to come back for it. Uh, that was what blew me away uh, 
from Fitzpatrick State. And there wasn't one throw, Rick, where as soon as he threw it, I where you sort of go, oh, no. Like He didn't come close to throwing an interception as far as I can remember. Uh, and that's one thing. Look, we he had I thought he had an up and down preseason. I didn't think he was spectacular. Like Jameis Winston was spectacular in the preseason. I thought Brian Fitzpatrick had a few off moments in the preseason. Oh yeah, but he didn't turn the ball over. And and that's 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 you. You want to go back and talk about Sunday's game? What was the difference? Yeah, their offense was great. They had zero turnovers, and the Saints had two, and that was the difference in the game. Also had zero sacks, so the offensive line protected him. Only two quarterback hits. This was a question that was asked of me, Tom, uh, and you're usually there um, at Spectrum Sports, and, and oh, yeah. um, I, I didn't really exactly know how to answer it, but I think I just did. Was it more execution or play calling that you would credit for the day that they had on offense? I think it was – I mean, it's a chicken or the egg, right? But I think it really it was, is. I thought it was execution, and that's the thing that Dirk Cutter kept going back to on Monday, that you can dial up all these plays that you want, but if um, – but if if you can't if the guys can't get open and the quarterback can't hit him and you don't get protection, yeah, none of it's going to work. So I will go back and and say that, um, yeah, they took a lot of shots. Obviously, they saw something uh, in either New Orleans or they or they they felt strongly about something that they were doing right that these plays were going to be there. But at the end of the day, you got to make those you got to make those throws, you got to make those catches, you got to make the protection. So I thought it was more I thought it was more execution, but. Boy, I was impressed. I would agree. Yeah, Yeah, you can't deny what Todd Munkin did in his first, you know, chance at calling plays to to hang forty-eight points. However, you did it, franchise record, uh, and could have broken that is is a credit to him at the very least. Um, But they did execute at a high, high level. Well, now they uh, play the Philadelphia Eagles, but the news is not good at all for the Bucks on the injury front. Um, Found out. Last night that Vernon Hargraves uh, has a shoulder injury. You know, I saw him after the game. Remember when he got hurt in the game. But I, right. I saw him and, and um, you know, Bobby Slater, their trainer, went up to him as he was getting ready to leave the locker room and said, you got to put this on. And it was a harness for his shoulder, uh, kind of like a sling, if you will. And he was like, do I have to? And he goes, yeah, yeah, you do. And I thought, now ah, they're just being cautious, you know, make sure that thing doesn't, uh, the range of motion doesn't slip out or whatever. Um, turns out that Vernon Hargraves is going to see Dr. James Andrews today. And anytime somebody, some team sends you to Dr. James Andrews, it's usually not good news. That's like, that's like Jim Cantori. If he's, if he shows up, your hurricane's coming to your Somewhere in North or South Carolina, Jim Cantori is going to be waiting for you. And you don't want to, you do not want to see him outside your home. James Andrews, it never, it seems like good news comes out of, uh, James yeah. Andrews' office, I, and I saw you talking to Vernon Hargraves after the game as well, Rick. What what um, alarmed me as I was watching it is okay. So he broke up a pass. That's yeah. that's what happened. Fell to the ground and didn't get up right away, and then headed straight to the locker room. It wasn't even like okay, let's go to sidelines, let's check it out, let's see if it feels yeah, better in a, a good minute. Point. That's he a good went point. straight off, and I and I'm always surprised when a player, a football mm-hmm. player, leaves leaves the field. To the point where it's like, yeah, I'm not coming back. And for a and, shoulder, what that usually means is it's dislocated, and they got to pop it back in. Right, right. Uh, and and that being the case, you, you're 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 concerned about a torn labrum, a rotator cuff, just a separation if it's if it's bad enough. Um, and I'm sure that they did the MRIs. And like I said, they have one opinion. This was this was sort of told to me that this is a quote second opinion. And that is to confer, confirm the first opinion that they didn't like. <laughs> right. No, that's the way so, it usually works in football. Yeah. And you so. got you got him out. I mean, Brent Brent Grimes will, 
He's you made a great out, point. I would imagine. Yeah, you made a great point the other day too, Rick. At, at Brent Grimes' age, you don't, you know, typically, nope. you don't get better and you don't get healthier as time yeah. goes on. It's uh, and that's too bad because I thought Vernon Hargraves was actually playing a little better lately. Oh, he I was. Thought they, I thought they put him in the right role. And mm-hmm. uh, and he was doing good things. Uh, this I thought this was bad. Yeah, absolutely bad news. Well, he forced a. You know, if you forget about uh, you know his one interception in the last. I mean, look, he was the twelfth pick in the draft. You know, three years ago, um, has still has one career interception. Uh, missed seven games last year with a groin injury. His career uh, would be the B level label. You'd say he was a bust at this point. Um, but but again, injuries has been the biggest thing for him. And if he's out for the season, I've always said this: you can't. You know. You can't blame a player for getting hurt. Some guys no. just do. Now you could you could say, well, they're soft or they're injury prone or whatever. You know, Gerald McCoy tore both bicep muscles his first two years that he played in the in the National Football League. He's going to make probably his seventh straight Pro Bowl this year. So it's not always the player's fault. It's just the nature of the, of, of the game. But right. um, but man, um, this is this is definitely going to affect them. Now they got to go to the two rookie corners that they have in Carlton Davis who. I talked to him after the game, and he said, you know what? I feel I look at it this way. I just went up against a Hall of Fame quarterback. Like, just going up against him for your first game, like I said before, it kind of just established, like, okay, this is – it can get bad. So, you know, you got to understand that you got to prepare for the worst with every game. And, you know, that being my first game, now I'm going to, like, prepare. Like, I could be playing against Drew Brees every game. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, it was kind of a good thing for me. And uh, it was a good lesson. Still, you're talking about MJ Stewart. You're talking about, you know, Carlton Davis, maybe Ryan Smith. Mm-hmm. They got problems in the secondary all of a sudden. Well, and that's where the pass rush better get a little bit better than it yeah, was. Yesterday. I know they sure. had a sack, and they, uh, but JPP's got to make more of an impact. Uh, yeah, he's he hurt too. Yeah, he's banged up too. Uh, and so that that's where it has to start. They have to get a better pass rush. Having said all that, would you say that the Bucks now will go 2-1, and 1-2, one, one or 3-0? Or and oh? I think they go. Boy, it's hard not to say three and zero, right? <laughs> After what we saw the other night, because really? of the three games, what we I looked think at that this was schedule, the hardest. Yeah, that was I by agree. far the hardest. At New I Orleans agree. or home against Philly, home against Pittsburgh. Okay, so you got Philly coming up this weekend. Look, I don't care what anybody says. It's still Nick Foles, man. I know he won the Super Bowl last year. I know he looked perfect. I mean, he didn't look great the other night. No, their offense was the their night. offense was bad. Their defense is elite. Their offense was really bad. So I I still think that team's a beatable team. And then you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers. I would not – now, look, they Steelers always start slow. And I, I wouldn't get too caught up in what happened the other day against Cleveland. Um, although I will say this, no Le'Veon Bell, that's a big difference. I, yes, I, it is. I, I know Connor came in the other day and had 100 yards or whatever. He's not Le'Veon Bell. Um, and that's and that can be a wicked offense to go up against. At the same time, they could, they'll give you the ball too. Ben Roethlisberger will throw you the football now and then. So – uh, that's a that's certainly a, a a winnable game there. I say they go two and one. I they'll win one of these next two. I'm not sure which one. They'll lose one of them. Not sure which one. But I'll, I'll say two and one. And if yeah, if the Bucks would have been, if you told the Bucks two and one after three Whew. games without Jameis Winston, they let's they would have said sign us up and we'll see you in Chicago. I got news for you. If you'd have told them two and one with Jameis Winston, they'd have said sign us up. We'll see you in <laughs> no Chicago. Kidding. No and what it's going to come down to, if, if Fitzpatrick plays well at all in these next two games, and they win one of them, but if he has you know another game where he doesn't turn it over, a couple touchdowns, and they win the game because he's the quarterback, I would say that there's a pretty good chance that Jameis Winston does not play at Chicago. 
And wow, I know that's going to shock week. people, but it's a, it's a short, short week. week. I can sell it. Short week, bye week after Chicago. I'm going with the hot hand. It ain't broke, don't fix it, all those things. And I could just see it going that way. But I could well, see it going that way, and I know how coaches think, and I know how teams operate, and that would be the smart decision that you would think. At the same time, and, boy, I don't know how you don't play Jameis Winston. I just don't know. He's the better quarterback, right? He's the better quarterback. You're asking me. That's as simple as that. Which guy gives you a better chance to win on any given Sunday? It's Jameis Winston. I would agree. I would agree. And I think it'll be hard for them not to put him back in there. And I also think that for as much as they love Fitzpatrick, Winston brings more to the huddle, more to the – there's going to be a natural lift when he walks back in the building. I mean, people told me, even when I got to New Orleans, that, yeah, you know what? It's just not the same. I mean, like, we're, yeah. we, we're confident in our team, but there's something really missing. And I think when he comes back, um, that'll be big. Finally, just on the race, Tommy, we'll let you go. Um, you know, they they obviously are playing to try to, to beat Cleveland and win that series. The A's come in this weekend, and, you know, they still have a chance of, of making this a race down to the final week or so. Still a small chance of, of making the playoffs. But what do you make of this? Um, school has started, and the Bucks have started, and college football has started. How disappointed are you that, and John Romano wrote about this a little bit, that no one is going to the trop when this has been arguably maybe this, the best year, the most interesting year for sure, and one of the most successful seasons in Rays history? They're on pace to win, I think, 88, 89 games, which nobody thought it would happen. They are playing as good a baseball as we've seen the last – month or so they're still kind of sort of in the race I, I you know what happened Tuesday night really hurt them they lose they lose to Cleveland yeah. Oakland Oakland wins and now I think it's eight and a half that they're mm-hmm. out with like 18 games left which seems almost impossible at this point uh, nevertheless I don't expect big crowds this weekend uh, when they play Oakland and that series no. could mean could mean a little bit of something that's disappointing but not surprising I mean is anybody surprised that they're not drawing fans even though they're playing well, because there have been years, Rick, where they've been a playoff playoffs. team, and they haven't drawn very well. And I think John Romano makes a great point, is I don't think it's all TROP. I don't think it's all TROP related. I, I don't think nope. it's all because, you know, it's all well, people don't I like I don't want to draw the bridge. Yeah. I don't yep. want to drive the bridge. I don't try. Now, is there some of that? Yeah, I'm not I'm not ignorant to that mm-hmm. idea that some people in Tampa don't want to drive. And I and I and look, I drove back and forth to Tampa twice from St. Pete on uh Tuesday chasing Steve Eiserman and all this around. And it's not a fun trip. But no. Uh, but at the same time, it's, boy, to go see a good baseball team, you'd think that people would, would, would do it. And here's the other thing, too, Rick, and I get it. It's summertime. But, you look, it's a dome. You're guaranteed a game. It's not going to get rained out. Yeah, I think it's very disappointing. Steve, you were there on, uh, on Tuesday night. I mean, it's, and, and the night before, which was – I mean, that game was incredible. I mean – that that whole game was great. Uh, the, what's even the vibe like inside the trop in these games? Uh, not great. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of wonder too. Uh, part of it is, you know, the Rays have basically said we're moving to Ebor now. Most of their their season ticket base of individuals comes from the St. Pete side or the Pinellas side of of the Bay. How many of those are going? Well, you're leaving us. We're not going to buy tickets now. I mean, you're kind of in that limbo for a couple of years until you, well, one get an agreement for a stadium and then actually build it. Yeah, I guess. Maybe. But I mean, there was a part of me that would feel like, hey, go see him while you can. Well, yeah, I mean, well, I agree. And and look, the, the Rays' problem has always been not individual ticket sales. 
Yeah, it's corporate. It's the corporate sales that they don't have, which is why they're Mm -hmm. moving from Pinellas to Tampa, is that the businesses that buy the the group seats and the suites and and blocks of tickets aren't in Pinellas County. And so they don't get those sales. The individual ticket sales for the Rays are not bad. They just don't have the corporate side of it to supplement it, which is what every other team has. Yeah, but it's depressing. Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is depressing, and it and it's not you know they're worthy of of more attendance than what they have because they're a good ball club. But you're absolutely, right. they to, are. to get to get twenty thousand people, I don't know what their fan base is. It's probably under ten grand as far as season tickets goes. But to get twenty thousand people to walk up on any given day is a lot of tickets. That's a lot yeah. of tickets for for people to buy for one game. Um, and so it just doesn't happen. But it would the, be Rays, nice. the Rays did announce for the Oakland series that they're selling uh, lower level outfield corner yeah. seats for ten dollars. Those are normally thirty dollar tickets. So you can get some yeah. really good lower level seats for ten bucks a pop this weekend for Oakland series. I know the Bucks play on Sunday, and that'll certainly be a draw for a lot of people. But I still think that uh, on the weekend they should. For that Oakland series, they should get somebody. It'd be nice. Yeah, to you would think, but I'm, I'm, you know how people are, Rick. And I don't, look, I'm not saying I blame them, but you get up Saturday and and Saturday morning and say, okay, college you know what? Football. I'm going to watch college football all afternoon. There's a bunch of good yeah. games on, and then the race come on. I'll watch them. Yeah, I'll watch them on TV. Oh, their t- their TV then, ratings are very good. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then Sunday comes and everybody wants to stay home and watch NFL mm-hmm. football again. I totally get that. And they'll say at some point, oh, I'll turn the Rays game on as well. So they don't feel like they're they're abandoning the team or they're not following the team. I uh, still they're think still paying I, attention. To I, it. I still think some of this year is, and look, we follow the team every day. We know Jake Bowers, Willie Adamas. You know, we've known about these guys for several years since they traded for him. We've heard about them coming up. The casual fan doesn't know these players. They got rid of Evan Longoria, and they got rid of Alex Colomay and Corey Dickerson. And any player they knew on this team. And it doesn't mean it was the wrong move for the race to do. But some of these casual fans are still just hearing about these players for the first time. So for yeah. them to get excited about it, they still have to learn about these players. I mean, you know, Kevin Kiermeyer is the only long-term veteran they know on this team. Maybe Blake Snow. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. for the, the very casual fan, I'm not saying right. the hardcore fans, but the casual fans, yeah, the team's doing well, but I don't know anybody. Right. Yeah, and, I bet you hard, walk down. It's hard to get excited about that for some. Yeah, no, I get. It. You walk down the street and you see somebody wearing a race shirt, and it's and you then you look at the back of their shirt. It's more than likely it's going to have a three Longoria on it. It's gonna, yeah, yeah, Longoria. Yeah. It's going to be a Price. It's going to be uh, Chris Archer. For, it's going to be, you know, you name the players. Ben the Z- Ben Zobrist, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, exactly. Yeah, it's not. Gonna, it's not going to be Jake Bowers. It's not going to be Willie. The Thomas. casual fans that and maybe they know the Rays are doing well. They don't know these players, so they ha- they don't relate to them yet. They don't. And they will, and, and these players are good young players, and, you know, by next year and then the year after that, you know, they'll, all of a sudden it'll be everyone will be wearing Jake Bowers and Willie Adamas and Tommy Pham and Austin Meadows and Blake Snell, of course. And Well, yeah, that's the guy. I mean, the guy they should wear to the stadium is Blake Snell, and he's mm-hmm. going to try to wrap up this series on the mound, and I still think has a chance, a pretty good one, I think, of winning the Cy Young Award. It, you know, a lot, a lot depends on – those Chris teammates Sale helped him Monday night when they got guys. to Corey Kluber. Yeah, they yeah. did. Yeah. They did. So if he can win 21 or so, we'll see. He's Tom Jones. You can read him at TampaBay.com. Great stuff, Tommy. Appreciate it. Thanks, fellas. Our thanks to Tom Jones. Okay, today the Rays wrap up their series with the Cleveland Indians. Blake Snell is scheduled to be on the mound for the Rays. The Bucks resume practice in preparation for their game on Sunday, their home opener against the Philadelphia Eagles. We'll update you 
on the injury status of Vernon Hargraves, who's visiting Dr. James Andrews, as we mentioned. We'll update you uh, on all the injuries. In fact, you get uh, lots of guys out, Brent Grimes, um, Jason Pierre-Paul, and others. So we'll have more information on that. And uh, by the way, the UCF game, Central Florida game at North Carolina, is canceled because of Hurricane Florence, and that will be in the forefront of everybody's mind as it bears down there on the East Coast. I think you're going to see a United lot of States. games uh, being canceled from college football to baseball to maybe even could be an NFL game or two. You know, I think the Redskins are at home this weekend. Uh, that mm-hmm. possibly could be affected. Panthers, I believe, are on the road. So that's uh, a mess. We, I mean, we went through it last year. Obviously, with Irma, and uh, you know, you feel you got that giant storm out there bearing down on you. That is, that is not a good feeling at all. So uh, we'll hope that uh, that there's minimal damage somehow, and that people uh, at least uh, heed the warnings and get out of harm's way and take the evacuation seriously, because this is nothing to be to be messed around with. Hey, tomorrow we're going to have our popular mailbag segment, and we want you guys now to send in questions uh, all day today. You can do that on Twitter. Uh, send them to us at SportsDayTB. You can send them to me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or you can email me at rstroud at tampabay.com. Uh, as always, we'd love for you to rate and review this podcast as well. You can do that anywhere you get your podcast through Apple Podcasts or to Google Play or any third-party app. Just hit those like buttons or leave a review. That helps us out a lot. The better the reviews, the more the podcast gets featured. And if you can tell a friend about it, that helps us out too. We appreciate it. And if you have any air conditioning needs at all, make sure to visit our friends at Millionaire. They're currently offering 0% interest in 72 months on qualifying equipment. Give them a call at 727-862-2100. Our thanks to Tom Jones again, and thank you for joining us. We're here every Monday through Friday, and we appreciate our uh, loyal listeners. Uh, We will be back with you tomorrow. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times for Steve Versnick. Have a great day, everybody. 